Hey Northridge, welcome to A Little Better, where our goal is to know God better and to do better so that we can be a little better. Alrighty, everybody, welcome back to A Little Better. We are so glad that you're here with us, whether you're watching or you're listening. It's an honor to have you with us. And this time is an interesting edition of A Little Better, which by the way, as I listen back to these recordings, I always say that at the beginning of everyone, I just need to stop saying it because it's getting annoying. During this series in particular, we've had so many guests that I just need to say, and like usual, we have a guest with us this week. And our guest this week is because I spoke, I needed somebody to talk to me about my message. And instead of, I did actually at one point think I was just going to talk to myself for a little while, like interview myself. And I thought that would be weird. So instead, we got the empathy master herself, Laura Capuano, to join us on the podcast. So everyone, big shout out. Welcome, Laura. We're glad you're here. Thanks so much. I love an inflated intro to live up to. (laughs) My favorite. Yeah, nothing like it. Nothing nope, like it. No nope, Actually, ideally for both of us, we would much rather someone have like a very like unkind, low bar setting. She's actually terrible at this so that everyone yes. would be surprised. I love that it's like a little better though. That's <laughs> yeah. actually like my baseline. It's like, just hey, start just- with a roast. And we'll go a little better than that. <laughs> just a little better. Just a tiny bit better. So for yeah. those of you who don't know Laura, um, she works on our Henrietta team and she is the campus director, which means um, that I don't actually don't know what that means. I said that same thing about Matt. I don't know what that means for him either. <laughs> you and me both, Aaron. <laughs> Functionally means she's in charge of a lot of things. She actually oversees um, kids ministry through Rachel. So first impressions, connections, kids ministry, um, all kinds of things are under her leadership, although in the, in the with kids ministry, she oversees that through Rachel and Rachel does a great job. And But she just, Rachel reports to Laura in all of that. So anyway, her and her husband, Tom, have been hard, part of Northridge for 300 years or so. What is it? 50, 350, yeah. Okay, 350 <laughs> years. And they have 250 children. <laughs> These are all accurate. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> about this so far is inflated. <laughs> yes, 10 so, years, five kids. 10 years, five kids. And um, if you haven't ever uh, listened to Laura's podcast, The Master of Fun, you got to go check that out. Of course, I had to shout that out at some point. It had to happen. But Laura, in her in her actual job, she is a writer and a speaker and a podcaster and all kinds of things extraordinaire and then chooses to spend a couple hours a week helping the Henrietta Campus Rock, which we're grateful for. And genuinely, the, my, my first round of this message, as my first round always is, is too long. <laughs> I've never preached a pre-preach that didn't need like, yeah, so good. Just, uh, it needs to be 40% shorter. (laughs) And in my first draft of the message, I actually had a story about Lara because genuinely she's the best at empathy of anybody that I know. And I was going to tell the story. Then I told you I was going to tell the story and it turns out I was telling it wrong. So what's the actual empathy Lara story related to bagels and new grass? (laughs) Tell us the bagel and new grass empathy story. This is ridiculous, but... No, I can remember, I have some early memories of first realizing that I was like a total empath. And I use the example of like this girl running across the volleyball court. <laughs> it makes me like want to cry. And she tripped and she had a little tiny plate and her bagel came off and it landed like butter side down. Might've been cream cheese, but cream cheese side down on the court. And she tripped in that almost ran into the rough and it was like this bagel on the ground 
This is so bad. And I was, and I was saying to Aaron, that's not even the most embarrassing like moment of empathy. Cause I have legitimate, I legitimately feel bad for baby grass when it's first coming up. It's just struggling through that soil and it's like precious. <laughs> I feel it's hard. to you So many feels for the baby life. grass. <laughs> Imagine so walking bad. through adult life with five children a husband, multiple jobs, and also anytime you grass. see baby grass, being on the verge of tears. Oh, I know. What an overwhelming set of circumstances. Oh, we lost Laura here for a second, but she'll be coming back. But anyway, the reason we wanted to have Laura was um, because apparently her technical skills, I think, is what we're, what we're going for. But um, no, I... I'm sure her phone has fallen and we'll get her back here in a second. But because of her, because of her empathy, I've just been so amazed in having her on our staff and working with her closely um, all the time. I'm, I'm still complimenting you, by the way. I, I first complimented your technical skills, but um, I, since having her on our team, what I've been most impressed by is just how anytime something comes up, you know, somebody submits a connections card that we, you know, she would see and, it would be so easy for me to like, Hey, yeah, you know, this happened and this person put this cart, this prayer request or something, and then just be moving on. And that sounds horrible to say, I'm just moving on from someone's prayer request. But in some ways, when you see them every week and there's dozens to process and blah, blah, blah. And it just was always clear to me that Laura couldn't go past prayer requests on our weekly sheet that didn't make her feel something, you know, people's a diagnosis or a death or even just an exciting thing. You know, it's always just like, wow. And she always wants to like meet that with a gift or with a text or like, let's pray for them or whatever. And I'm always like, Oh, Oh yeah. Like human emotions and stuff. Yeah. You should good. acknowledge no, that. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, um, she's been, we've actually talked about how she's the moment creator at the Henrietta campus. If there's a moment that needs to happen, I'd be like, Oh shoot. Yeah. We should have thought about like, doing something thoughtful <laughs> and whether it's babies or um, funerals or those kinds of things, Laura's always able to be anticipating people's feelings and meet them with um, empathy. So I'm, I'm super well, thankful thank for having you. that. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> enough. And moving on. That's um, enough. <laughs> so, but in, as a, as a master empath, uh, how, what were some things that you were thinking about while this message was happening. Now it's time for you to turn the compliments back onto me and just yeah. praise me for a minute. <laughs> no, just I, was, I was really proud of your brevity. That oh, was thank you. a first ever. Yeah. And, right. 25 uh, minutes. I nailed it. <laughs> yeah, that was great. But that made me excited to like hear more from you about, I know you, I, I read your manuscript, And so I saw some of the things that you cut. Um, and so I kind of was excited to fill in some more pieces and think through a couple of different things. And one of the things I was really wanting to hear from you um, was you had talked a little bit about that um, kind of imagining somebody else or imagining yourself saying the thing that the other person is saying and entering into that with them. So, and you mentioned uh, an, op or an example of a time that you did that, but I was wondering about a time that somebody entered into empathy for you or with you and how did that shape your view of that situation? How did it make you feel? I know you, you say you're not great at empathy, but I think you're a lot better at it than you realize. And so I was just wondering about that, like a time where you felt like, Oh wow, that was, I was met with empathy in an experience that I was expected. You expected something different. Sure. That's a really good question. And I would say my first thought is, when someone meets you with empathy, 
it actually isn't necessarily notable because it you're already feeling. So like if I'm feeling sad at level 10 and I tell someone about it and they come in sad at level 10, it actually doesn't even register as being unique because it's like, of course they're feeling sad at level 10. I told them a sad thing. (laughs) And so empathy actually in relationship feels almost undetectable because once someone once when someone when you and someone else are seeing something the same way it becomes unconscious neither of you has to talk about it because you share this perspective completely so in some ways um being the selfish and non-empathetic person i am anytime i i'm sure i've been met with unending empathy all the time um and i it's never even triggered as something that should be notable because it's it's really only when you're met with a lack of empathy yes until you're trained to notice it and and i think that I, I hopefully I've gotten better at that, but like it's a lack of empathy that's super noticeable. And then once you realize how hard empathy can be, then anytime you experience empathy, you're like, oh, this person gets it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, how it's so much better than the lack of empathy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I mean, I can think of times when I, you know, was really stressed out, like in college or work, you know, working on a project or something and going to a professor and just being like, my life is insane right now or whatever. And then not being like, well, hey, deadlines are deadlines. That's how it's yeah. going to be. And in some ways, I, you, you do want standards. And I don't want to be like just given an excuse every single time. But I can remember times of just being like the sweet relief of just knowing like, wow, they yeah. get it. They're okay. And they're going to let me be a human right now or whatever. I can, you know, that's happened to me throughout my life. And those are times where once you become attuned to them, you realize how rare pure empathy is and it starts to feel amazing. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true and I do think that when we the absence of empathy if like if that's our baseline, if that's what we maybe we grow up being used to that mm-hmm. and then we start to feel like sort of deficient in that skill and it's something it's very hard to teach. I know I'm pretty enmeshed in the world of adoption and there's a lot of kids that have in utero exposure or have attachment issues. And it can cause like a lack of empathy to just naturally be there. And it is very, very, very hard to teach empathy. And so Mm -hmm. it's like something if it hasn't been modeled for you, or if there's some kind of disconnect, it is something that's hard to teach at a certain age. Um, But I was wondering too, like, do you feel like we're socially conditioned to be empathetic? Or do you think we're more socially conditioned to be less empathetic? Uh, okay. So social conditioning seems to imply probably a degree of expertise that I don't have. So I don't know that I can, I, I, I don't feel like I can comment on like, or just like in your personal life. Phenomenon. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I would say I'm a nervous person who, when I see, I'm pretty controlling. And so if I see something not going the way I'd like it to, I'm kind of like, ah, but don't forget. I'm like, you're going to want to do it this way. And like, I can be very micromanaging and controlling. And so anytime someone is looking for an exception or looking for empathy, it can be very easy for me in my personality to be like, man, if I give an inch, what else are they going to ask for? You know what I mean? And I'm also very solutions oriented. So I'm we've talked about it before on the podcast. I like the Enneagram. I'm an Enneagram six and I'm always nervous about like what's coming. And I meet that fear with a spreadsheet. So like, well, okay, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. So this is a task list and I got to get it written down. If I can just think it all through and journal about it and, and, and meet it with a plan. Um, 
And I, I can just start to get nervous that if I allow this person to, I'm, I'm starting to think worst case scenario. So if I don't give them the truth now, or if I don't correct it now, then it's going to, they're going to get out of control. And it's, I'm going to, I'm very task, I, I, what's the word I'm looking Solutions oriented. I'm very solutions yes. oriented. And empathy is like kind of a horrible solution space. And so in a culture, probably America as a whole, not just about me, but I would say probably most you know, I just think of the the average American experience. It's very solutions oriented, very meritocracy, very like you got to work and get it. And if you just this yeah. and this and this, it'll all work out. And if you think that way all the time, then empathy is kind of like your worst nightmare because that just means you have to, for a time, you're going to have to sit and do nothing and just feel stuff. Right. And for especially a male in America with a feeling like you always have to produce something that's like the word. I don't. I don't want to sit in. I don't want to sit in feelings for any time if I can avoid it. I just want to like get through. out of them. Plow I want through. to get through to a solution as fast as possible. And so when you when you hand someone your raw em- emotion or empathy, like I'm going to enter into this with you, what it feels like you're offering them is a pass to never get over whatever they're expressing. And so I'm immediately like, okay, I, I'll feel kind of bad, but just bad enough so that you kind of feel like I care, but not bad enough that you think it's okay to stay here. You know what I mean? To enable you. Yeah. I'm not going to become an enabler. So I have to, so yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I'm answering your question, but I definitely think American society is looking to ensure outcomes. And so empathy feels very scary because it's slow, it's emotional, and it doesn't offer any solutions. Like there's no takeaways. <laughs> it's just, yeah. you feel bad or you feel happy. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I get that. I also, I guess, you know, as you were talking and you were talking specifically as, specifically as it relates to unity, I feel like empathy is super solutions oriented in that empathy kind of takes down the roadblock to action. Hmm. Without empathy, you're at a place of inaction. You're like, or, or the only action really is to correct, right? Sure. It's like, yeah. I'm uncomfortable yeah. with your pain, so I'm going to correct the thing you're doing to cause your pain, or I'm going to correct your reaction to the pain. I'm going to delegitimize it, or I'm going to invalidate it, or I'm going to do whatever it is to alleviate my discomfort, which is really self-focused, right? <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Or, so, or, or we're inactive and we're just like, well, I can't really solve this, so I'm just, I don't know what to do. But so I think the inaction comes from that lack of empathy. So to Mm. me, it's like the most beneficial, like first step to solutions is expressing that empathy. And only then can you kind of work through it to have that unity. Yeah. Because I feel like, I mean, I don't know, but for me, I guess I feel like a lot, and you talked about some of the disunity we're seeing in the church, not over just racial tensions, but over, um, politicizing COVID and all of these different hot topics that are going on. And and as these things were coming up and I felt just like all of us felt like this real strong sense of disunity. I kind of wondered if have these things created disunity or have Mm. these things exposed disunity that was already there and the lack of empathy that was already there. Yeah, oh, I, I think you're absolutely, the, all those really great points, but that pointed thing you just said at the end there, I think you're absolutely right. There already were divisions, not only in our local church, but in society as a whole, there were already fractures. Yeah. This is something that is being pushed further apart by a moment. 
that just has a lot of weight, right? Like our, our bridge already had all the fractures in it. It just needed, you know, a tank on it and it was going to start to collapse. Right. Uh, by the way, what a fantastic metaphor. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, if there's one thing that makes sense for 2020, it's that metaphor. <laughs> a tank on a bridge somewhere just because. It's perpetually um, cracked. Yeah. So I think you're right. And, and it's, it's a commitment to rightness rather than to, to, you know, empathy or to feeling. And, and what's hard is in the Christian life, this is almost like the grace and truth tension. It's like, we can't, we can't ever step away from truth in our grace, but so often the pathway to truth for people is through grace. Like if you're not walking through grace, you'll never, so like you said, correcting, and I've even heard you talk before, what is it like, Instead, with your kids, instead of correcting, what's the, what's the first step? Yeah. I'm obviously connect, so good at it. Connect yeah. before you correct. Yeah. Yeah. Connect before you correct. Like if I can understand what it's like to be this kid in this situation before I'm, of course, I'm not going to let my kid continue in this behavior, but if I can help them, if I can enter into it and be like, wow, how frustrating would it be to be a three-year-old who doesn't have the words or the self-control and anything. And now yeah. I wanted to swim in the pool. You said I could swim in the pool and now something's happening. I can't swim in the pool. Like. I'm not good at that. At 29, I would be mad. And of course he's mad. So if I can enter into like, Hey buddy, I know that's really frustrating. Um, Mm. I'm sorry. I did say we could, but here's why. And I, I need you to obey even when you don't understand, like I'm still getting to correction. Your temper tantrum does not count. By the way, I'm not talking from something that happened today. I promise. Um, it's not like I literally just did this. No way. Um, Everybody's yeah, fine. Yeah. No, nobody, nobody was screaming today. There were no time for tangents. But um, if I can, if I can understand and of course get to truth and never neglect it, we can never neglect it. But if we can connect before we correct. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just well, becoming more I, powerful. And so that, like you said, it's the, the first step. While it doesn't feel solutions oriented, the best solutions start in empathy, maybe. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I remember, um, you know, when your kids fall and they get hurt and they're just like doing the <laughs> back cry, which is no, really attractive no when you no, do it, yes. <laughs> when you do it as an adult <laughs> on a screen. Um, you know, I, I used to feel like I wanted to be like, okay, A, you're fine. Or, and we, we all grow up hearing, okay, you'll live, you'll live, walk mm-hmm. it off tape an aspirin mm. to it or whatever people say. <laughs> Rub some dirt in it. <laughs> Rub some dirt in it. This kind of grit, bootstrap kind of feeling of like, mm-hmm. just pick yourself up and keep going. And there is an element of that that is a really valuable life skill to learn. But that does not stop a toddler from doing the, you know, crying. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I stopped trying to make them to resolve their discomfort and get them through that, and I just said, that really hurts. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and I have some juice. And he's like, yeah, juice we can do. <laughs> you know? It was just having to get through that moment of just like, somebody's validating that this hurts. Mm-hmm. And then, and now, you know, as they get older, they're able to not just identify when they're physically hurt, but to be like, hey, that comment hurt. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just going to say it out loud. And now I can rub some dirt in it and move forward. Right. Like, it doesn't mean you don't teach perseverance or tenacity, but mm. first acknowledging the pain because I think we perseverate on pain that isn't validated. Mm. 
says wow. my childhood baggage. <laughs> that doesn't come. From, I was going to say that doesn't come from like a real place or something. Does it? That's from a book I read. Uh, that has nothing to do with my experiences. No, sure. That's. I think you're right. And you know what? You conceal doesn't heal. And you know we've heard those kinds of things before. And I think it's very true. And even in as you say that, I should be saying wow, Lara, I'm sorry. You know, like that, I'm sorry. That, and I know like genuinely, I could be like, oh, good insight. Now let's move on. And recognizing like sometimes people's pain. Now, obviously you're speaking from a position of an awareness of this and trying to help people understand it. But sometimes pain can come up even just in a, in a thing like that of like, oh, and I'm not, you know, and you know, because what my, you know, uncle used to say or whatever. And then it's like, whoa, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, that actually sounds like it hurts. I'm, I'm sorry to, I'm sorry that you had to experience that. And just mm-hmm. validating humanity. And inside the church, what I think is important is that like, we used to, you talked about the fractures. I think the fractures already existed and the, the weight was pressed upon it and it started to crack because I think what was happening was we have this belief that we can't get along with people that we disagree with. Because we're mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we're just more committed to being right than we are to being unified. And I think unity, we can begin to see it as people who deeply disagree, but who value each other, then it will help us with empathy. Because then I can say like, to the anti-masker or to the always masker, you can say like, wow, I wonder why they're an always masker. Oh my goodness, they're an ER doc. Or like, right. they have you know high risk people in their homes. And and or the anti-masker like man, they genuinely value freedom and like honestly they have constitutional rights they're trying to protect and that's a that that's valid you know like if we can see it from their perspective of or whatever if we can get there we can then go hey look i can't agree with you because i'm not going to operate that way but i totally get why your fear of the government would drive you to the position you're in right now or your fear of this disease would drive you so like i will i am not upset that you're never or always going to wear a mask because I hear you. I see you, your pain, your fear yeah. is hurt. It's real. I mean, it's, it's heard and it's real and it's validated. Yeah. Now let's move on. <laughs> you know? Well, and, and how much more likely is the always never, whatever masker or, or something else, how much more likely are they going to be to enter into a middle ground conversation Mm-hmm. If they feel like nobody's trying to pull them away from their position or from their pain or from their experience, but they're trying to, it's, I, I heard um, a quote recently, someone said, I'm not here to call you out. I'm here to call you in. Mm. Oh, I love yeah. that. It was so like good. the goal. Yeah. The goal isn't to like put someone on blast for their views. The goal is to invite them into a genuine, sincere dialogue and how much more malleable are people in their, in not necessarily their like biblical views, but in their just ideologies that we kind of mm-hmm. hold on tightly to when it feels like someone's trying to pull it away. Yeah. And we're seeing that now with our, our personal liberties, like we will mm-hmm. dig our heels in if we mm-hmm. feel like they're threatened. But if you say like, I'm not here to change your mind, I'm, I'm here to understand your mind. I mm-hmm. think people are a lot more willing to enter into um, either in a respectful, honest dialogue about things, or even open their mind to other viewpoints, which may shift their perspective. But if right. that's the goal, it feels corrective. 
And when you lead, when you show, show empathy at the start, you can help with truth. You might even find that, oh my goodness, they had a valid point. You know what I mean? Like yeah. rather than them being just a moron who can't think an issue through. And inside of Christianity, you know, there's so many debatable things. Not, of course, we're not talking about. Say, there's like, so many no, morons. Uh, no, no. I mean, yeah, probably. But um, you know, we're not talking about like. Hey, I, I understand your heresy. And so I just want to sit with it. You know what I mean? But at the same time, that is mm-hmm. their humanity. We should sit with, man, where do they get their training? And why do they have that view of God? And like, even with a person who's an atheist, we should be able to be empathetic. But mm-hmm. especially when it comes to debatable doctrinal issues, we should be able to be like, man, I, there, there are smart people on this issue. So I can enter into what you think. And if you can lead with, this is a human, they think what they think for a reason. And I can understand the humanity before I begin to correct. Everything gets less tense. And especially when it comes to pain, I feel like this is so important. When it comes to celebration, for sure. Because man, it's so deflating to win and not have someone care. You know, it's so so like, I did it. And I'm like, oh, cool. Hey, uh, so what were we having for dinner? You know, like that's that stinks. But it's even more poignant when it comes to pain. And that's why I think lament I've been reading, I've read two books in particular this past year, um, both by a guy named Mark Rogop, who's a pastor in Indiana. Um, actually, his son, Jeremiah, interned at the Henrietta campus. But anyway, he uh, one book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, that's just about lament. And the next one was called Weep With Me. And it's about lament as a bridge to racial reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And both of them, I just think are so key. It's, it sounds so simple that like, wow, you're crying out in pain. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cry with you. Like that should not be groundbreaking and it shouldn't even be, you shouldn't have to write a book to tell people like, Hey, when life hurts, it's okay to cry. Like that right. shouldn't have to come out in a book, but I'm reading it being like, Oh my goodness. What an insight. Wait, weep with those who weep. <laughs> so do what the Bible says. Yeah. Works. It doesn't, it shouldn't be mind blowing, but it totally is. And I think yeah. because we're so used to saying, rub some dirt in it, or, well, I don't want to give to, I don't want to be an enabler, you know, that like, frankly, most of us are not on the verge of being a little too empathetic, you know, and, and those two books, I I could not recommend them highly enough because, you know, especially the one about empathy as a bridge to racial reconciliation, which is where some of the thoughts that I had related to this passage were formed. I actually read the book after I wrote the sermon and I was like, Oh, I feel so validated. (laughs) I feel so heard. Um, but, uh, he, I just think he makes such an excellent point where he doesn't give radical solutions to all of these problems because that's naive. Like these are really complicated topics. He's just saying, if you want your brothers and sisters to walk with you instead of against you, maybe just hear them. And I was like smacked in the face by the reality of like, I guess when I, all I can offer is here's how all I'm saying is, yeah, could you get over it and just do these 10 things? And that I would hate that if someone was that patronizing to my pain. Yes. You know, and it begs the question too, if all we did as a church was start caring, if that's the only change we made and we didn't do anything actively to like pursue racial justice, all we did was just care and listen and feel it with people, what would change? Hmm. You know, it to me amazingly it, it so much, <laughs> so much, yeah. And really, like if we talk about empathy being um, kind of breaking down the roadblocks to action, mm-hmm. and a lack of empathy being like the either forces us to correct and judge or leads to inaction. 
Like to me, that's the easiest thing to do is just listen, care, believe mm-hmm. people's experiences and validate mm-hmm. those. And I feel like that would lead to radical changes within the global church, just believing and caring and lamenting and experiencing, Absolutely. sitting in it. Sitting um, in it. Sitting in it. And allowing yourself to not go like, whew, wow, that was like the world's worst vacation moving on, you know, but to just say like, I'm going to sit in this and I'm going to refuse to leave this space until we can leave it together. It will, you will get uncomfortable enough that you will find ways to be, even if incrementally, even if with tons of compromise, even if doing things you never thought you would on either side of the spectrum or the aisle or who you vote for or whatever. Um, sitting in it with people. And I think, you know, in many ways, uh, as I talk to friends all over the spectrum, whether it's on racial justice or anything, even like, you know, friends that are police officers, which somehow these get put on the opposite ends of the spectrum. I'm just saying like, oh my goodness, like how hard it is to be a cop. And I'm like, tell me more. Like if I can just sit in the like, wow, you are constantly put in horrible situations. Like I genuinely would be just crying in my car. I don't know what I would, I don't know what I would do. I'm going to act differently in how I work toward making things better if I can just sit in the experience. So it doesn't matter what you're talking about, whether it's political, and I hate that, you know, somehow police and racism is political, but it is. Those things, or whether it's in the church, doctrinal differences, it doesn't matter. If we can start with like, I'm going to sit here and I won't leave until we leave together, I think we'll come up with better solutions. We will be way more committed to action um, because we'll just be saying like, no, this is my family. Like I can't, I can't not do something or at least feel something because I care about these people. Right. Yeah. Well, and Jesus was like the perfect example, right? He was the, the yeah. ultimate. Um, Let's finish with this. Go on a rant. You, you talk about Jesus for a minute and then we'll be done. I love it. <laughs> okay. Go for it. I, I, I guess I was thinking about this picture of empathy and empathy is always a choice. It means you're choosing to step outside of your own experience and enter into somebody else's. You don't have to. Because sympathy is the thing that you have to feel because it's you're already in it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that how I, that, I think that sounds fair. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let's roll with it. <laughs> working definition. <laughs> but um, Jesus was the picture of privilege and not needing to enter into other people's pain because he was perfect in heaven, in paradise, didn't need to leave that position and chose to come and live in the flesh, in our suffering, in our loneliness, in our despair in our all of these different broken things in our world and he chose to leave paradise in order to enter in to this place of suffering and brokenness with us Hmm. it's the perfect picture of empathy one of those my favorite verses is um it's i wrote it down it's Psalm we do 56. not have a high priest. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going in a different direction. Go ahead. Okay. Psalm 56, 8, it says, and this is the New Living Translation. That's my favorite uh, of, for this particular passage. It says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. I mean, when you are feeling sorry for yourself, is that not who you want by your side? It's like I have written every single tear. I've collected them into a little bottle and I have kept track of every single hurt. Do you and want me to get the tear? I'll get the tear bottle. I'll show you the tears. <laughs> yeah. I, I just treasure your tears. But mm. that's the picture of, um, of this kind of real empathy. It's like, I am so hurt. I'm not going to let one of those tears just go unnoticed. I'm going to save it. Because it hurts me that much. And that's empathy. 
And Jesus didn't have to experience any of it. And he not only took on our suffering, he took on the suffering of the world in order to enter into communion with us just because he's good, just because he loves us that much. And so I feel like as Christians, the picture of us living in empathy is not, Jesus was all truth and all grace, all Mm -hmm. humanity and all divinity. Like we don't Mm -hmm. have to choose between correction and connection. We can Mm -hmm. do both. But when you have a long history of collecting someone's tears with them, you have earned the right to give some correction and some guidance and some counsel. So I feel like it's, it's the path to action in my view. I love that. It was the path to salvation. Ooh, that'll preach. And Jesus (laughs) did that for his enemies, right? So these were, these were people who were put actively working against him. They put him on the cross, they killed him and he was empathetic to their, that's the like, father, forgive them in the midst of their killing Mm -hmm. me. I have to go. I'm, I'm all the way on the other side, feeling what they're feeling like. They don't know it yet, but they need forgiveness. Father, forgive them as they yes. kill me. You know, so that's, and we do not have Hebrews. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was like us in every way yet without sin. So yes. he, he totally took on all of it for his enemies, for us, and laid that as a pathway for us. And he purchased with his blood the unity that we need as a church. So, yeah. Laura, thank you for taking the time. We probably yeah, went way long. Me. I actually it's don't okay. even know. Well, people who know us know. <laughs> yeah. If you know us, you know that this is just literally all, all that ever happens when we start talking. So thank you for your uh, insights, genuinely, for yes. your leadership at our church and for how you make us better, how you make me better. I'm grateful and uh, looking forward to listening back um, on 2x speed and it'll only take three and a half hours. So it'll be That's right. <laughs> All right, thanks, thanks Laura. So and thanks everyone okay. for listening. Next week is our reopen. And so we'll be hearing from Drew. Will the real giant killer please stand up? Looking forward to hearing from him. Um, and then we'll get into a series on Pi Squared. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.